For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. Good day. I'm Graham Stark. And I'm Kathleen DeVere. We're from internet comedy powerhouse Loading Ready Run. And if you are listening to the radio expecting to hear about butts, you are listening to the wrong show. This is The Geek Show, which is much cooler but has far fewer behinds. You're looking for The Butt Show. It's on the other side. Dudes and dudettes, and welcome to 104.5 CVFM. You're listening to The Geek Show. Yes, yes you are, and uh, it's been a hell of a last day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, Tonight's show we are talking bendy stentialism, or world bending, mind bending, that sort of thing. Dude, what? Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to Keanu my way through the entire thing. Whoa. (laughs) I know Kung Fu. (laughs) Yeah. That's have it. you seen Sad Keanu? Yeah. Oh, oh have you seen? Right. Bizarre news. Um, he's now been made into an action figure. Yes, I know. That's what I'm talking about. Have you seen the little uh, when they've got him in the little sets? The I, I swear I laughed, but I also uh, I also felt sorry for him with the uh, you know the Christmas dinner. He's basically got a table full of like turkey and all sorts of stuff and six yeah. empty chairs, and there's just Sad Keanu at the end. <laughs> I just looked at it, I, went, I laughed first, and I went, aww. I kind of want the action figure just to sit on my desk with the other ones. And then there's the one in the park with the cats. Yeah. I think that's the real one. Yeah. That's the unphotoshopped one. Yeah. Well, the rest. The thing is, a lot of the others haven't been photoshopped. What they've, what they've done, they've made little sets. There's one with General Vamp, 
and it looks like an employment office. It looks like he's just failed the interview or something like that. <laughs> some some epic ones. If you can, Google Sad Keanu. Yeah. I know. Indeed. <laughs> anyway, yes, uh, uh, today we are talking world bending, mind bending, and we also have a, uh, an interview with the uh, brilliant Don Coscarelli, the director of Phantasm, Bubba Hotep, and John Dice at the end. Excellent. Uh, we'll be playing that later on in the show. Yes, we will be playing that later on in the show. And For we'll right be- now, we have Rob, who is there. Yes, I'm over here. And Dave, who is here. And, and uh, if there's anything you want to tweet us about, yes. where, sh- where should they tweet, dude? They should tweet hashtag the geek show, and we will uh, we will read them. Excellent. As long as they're radio friendly, we'll read them out on the radio. If it's innuendo, it's fine. Is it? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> innuendo is fine. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, anyway. Um, <clears throat> Today, we do have news. Facebook. I use Facebook. I know you don't. Yeah, I know I don't. And I'm so glad. It means I've been, I've been, uh, I've been infection-free for longer than you. Dude, I, my image is everywhere on the internet. It's just... No, I mean, uh, in relation... Uh, the reason I say infection-free is because this story... Um, researchers at Princeton University... Uh, have claimed that the social network's popularity has spread like an infectious disease, um, but as we slowly become, become immune to it, it's going to die out by around 2017. Um, perhaps. I I know that like uh, this year there's been like analytics that say the teenagers are leaving it in terms of uh, in favour of other things like Snapchat and stuff like that, yeah. but... I still think there's a place for it. I think people are going to continue to use it. Well, I mean, I, think I, can, I honestly see Facebook going the way of MySpace. Possibly, only if they find a more a, a better way, really. Well, I, I think what's happening with uh, with a lot of the big social networks is that they're too generalised. Um, Facebook is all well and good, but. Uh, when you people are starting to look for more specialized things that are based on their hobbies and their interests so they can talk to people about the things that they want to talk to yeah i, I see what you mean but there is the the tools to do that within facebook you can set up groups and yeah uh, i know but uh you know uh, when you actually have dedicated social networks take mal for example mm-hmm. my anime list is all about anime and manga um, I think it's got a million and a half users coming on two million users. It doesn't seem that big in comparison to Facebook. It's tiny in comparison to Facebook. But if you go on to Mal and start talking to people on Mal, yes, there are idiots on Mal just like there are on any social network. But you will be talking mainly to people who have an interest in anime and manga. And you'll probably find yourself spending a lot more time on Mal talking to those people about your interests than you would do in a Facebook group. Oh yeah, absolutely. But um, like, I did find as well uh, when I was uh, doing the community pages for OneCon all the time. Yeah. Uh, whenever we had news to announce, we'd have to do it so many times because the nature of Facebook is that only the top thing is at the top. Yeah. So it's like um, it's like no one has any like long term memory. Yeah. Exactly. You've got to keep keep hitting people with the same information because everyone forgets it and facebook forgets it it's like once it's down the page it's forgotten that's partly because um that's partly because of well 
people are a bit like goldfish. I mean, the three-second memory is, you know, it's been proved false, but the analogy still stands. People only remember the newest, shiniest thing. Well, Tumblr, I, th- I find, is worse for that in that just the deluge of content you get on Tumblr. Oh, God, I avoid Tumblr. Um, it's okay. It's just I only put my own content on there, but a lot of people that I follow reblog a lot of things. So yeah, you just get, like, as I say, a content, constant deluge of content content well the thing is the same thing happened to uh do you remember stumble upon yeah Yeah, the same things the same thing happened to that it used to be great in in the early days it was great because you just you know you go right oh that's interesting you just put your interests in and it'd find you a random page about you know based upon your interests and you go from that but then as it got bigger and as more people started adding the same stuff you start hitting the same stuff more and more often yeah. Until you, know, uh, you could just you could go through, like, click stumble like 50 times and every single thing would be something you'd already read or seen. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it goes. But, yes, uh, Princeton University, um, this is what they said. Ideas like diseases have been, <laughs> ideas like diseases have been shown to spread infectiously between people before eventually dying out and have been successfully described with epidemiological models uh, ideas are spread through communicate communicative contact between different people who share ideas with each other idea manifestors ultimately lose interest with the idea and no longer manifest the idea which can be thought of as the gain of immunity to the idea that's a lot of ideas in one paragraph um but yes um they model the social network u- networks using equations commonly used to map and the spread and recovery of epidemics, and they tested them on data gathered from MySpace to check that they accurately modeled boom and crash, and then applied them to Facebook. In turn, they generated the prediction that the site's user count would drop by 80% before 2017. So, yeah. An 80% drop is a huge amount for Facebook. Yeah, they're going to lose a lot of advert advertising on that. Yeah. So... It'd be interesting to see, if that does happen with Facebook, what would Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg do next? Isn't Zuckerberg already out of it, like, at this point? He can just... No, like, uh, he's still the head honcho, but he's just basically doing things like learning Chinese and, you know, adding various bits and bobs onto Facebook that it never actually needed in the first place. He'll Hello. probably sell it off before if it starts to fail. Hello, everybody. Hello, Rob. And I will just say this, it just gives another social network a place to have 80% of, you know... Wedding photos, baby photos. Yes. Photos that nobody really cares about, but you got a sort of wedding slideshows. It's, it's moved on to the digital format. That's what Facebook is now. Yeah. It's boring slideshow people, boring you with their boring lives. Hello, by the way. Do you know, a lot of people, <laughs> here's the thing, though. They actually know right now that um, about 30% of Facebook users don't actually use Facebook as a social network. They just use it to play Farmville and stuff like that. My dad does that. Yeah, hmm. they don't actually use. Not Farmville, though. Yes, taste. Yeah. But you understand what I mean. Candy Crush Saga. Oh, oh God. Uh, yeah, I heard about their. Uh, oh, we want to trademark the word saga. Yes, it's a word that's been around for hundreds of years. How can you trademark? No, they wanted thousands. to. Ca- they wanted to trademark the word candy. They've uh, went after Banner Saga for being a similar thing. The Banner Saga. What about the Rastan Saga? The Star Wars Saga. Wasn't, Are you going to go after them? Wasn't there? Yeah, but they aren't an online uh, like game that's a similar 
That's I will buy uh, if somebody is selling the Rastan Saga, the rights to that. Okay, <laughs> then you know, sell it to me. I'll make a game called the Rastan Saga. Put it online. I challenge King Games. I'll, you know, I'll take you one. <clears throat> Isn't there a story similar to this a while ago? How Facebook was trying to copyright the letter F. Yeah, and you uh, if you use the letter well, F. Well, they wanted I, to they wanted to copyright Face. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bit stupid. <laughs> because of like FaceTime. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, anyway... Um, Big companies go stupid. Yes. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, disappearing ghost ship. Right. Now, it's uh, a ship called the uh, Lyubov Orlova. It was a... Uh, it was a tourist a tourist vessel. Um, yeah, it was a tourist vessel that uh, went around, like, the Arctic Circle and stuff like that. Right. Right. Um, it was... Apparently misplaced on its way from a harbour in Newfoundland, Canada, to the Dominican Republic, where it was to be sold as scrap. On board the ship are thousands of cannibalistic rats. I thought all rats are, essentially. These ones are far more cannibalistic than normal because there is no other food source on the ship. Right, yeah, well then, yes, rats do that. Is it just me that thinks this would kind of be an awesome stop-motion movie? I think it would (laughs) be... I don't know why, I just... Well, like to rat let, yeah, yeah. Let me put it this way, right? Things We've seen you know, giant it? mutant rats, right? We've seen, like, poison-proof rats. We've seen, like, the old, uh, the old kind of hardened Arnold Schwarzeneggers of rats. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that, are, uh, that look like they're out of Commando or Predator. Yeah, you know what this is setting up for? It's like an end-of-the-world scenario between rats and scorpions. And cockroaches. Well, yeah. No, the only two animals on the planet that visited every single continent and lived in every environment are human beings and rats. Yeah. Because they follow us everywhere. And yeah. apparently there's been rats in space because <laughs> they'll just follow us out everywhere we yeah, go. Yeah, we're just exactly. making like a lineage for Ratatouille movies now. First, it's a cannibal movie, then it's an in-space movie. Yeah. Now, here's the fourth the one, you've got a huge knife. And here's the thing. This ship machete disappeared. Weapons. Right, they, uh, it disappeared at some point, and the weird thing was, in this age of Google Earth, right, they still couldn't find it. Couldn't find it on sonar. Couldn't find it on radar. Couldn't I, find I, it I'm, on Google I'm Earth. Question there. Yeah. Isn't this the day and age of Google Earth and street maps and all this, and yeah. people still can't find Area Fifty One? Yes, I know. Conspiracy! It's the rats. The rats run Area yes. Fifty One. That's the only, you know, logical conclusion. Anyway, um, they reckons that this ship was heading for the UK. Oh, the horror! <laughs> it's like some. It's like something out of a, you know, out of a prequel for some kind of horror movie, a zombie movie. This or could be like a good B movie. Yeah, we need to do this. It's a stop motion with with rats. And I, it, it's I, I like it. I like it. It's a perfect setup, isn't it? And get uh, admin to do it. Yeah, need to branch out into adult <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, they don't need to. Well, no adult stuff, but you know, more mature stuff rather than adult stuff. Yeah, admin doing I... adult animation is a different thing. Entirely. I don't think an admin animated sex scene is going to go down particularly well. That's just a completely different. Well, P. Yellow walking down. Yeah, there. we had we had puppet sex in Team America. We did. We did. It's there's a thing. And admin should stay away from it. Plasticine <laughs> <laughs> sex is sex too far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, because now I'm just having wrong thoughts about that edible Play-Doh. 
Moving on. <laughs> Rob, moving on. Right, uh, moving on. Um, Jelly Belly, the company that makes jelly beans, have decided they're going to uh, go back to their German roots and make beer-flavoured jelly beans. Oh, this doesn't really make sense. People Do they have a proof value? Nope. You have to eat uh, a lot of them, I reckon. But people don't really eat... No, I drink beer because it tastes good. They drink beer because it gets them drunk and that. I will agree with you on that. Why would you make beer-flavoured jelly beans? They need every flavour. There's just going to be Bertie Bott's every flavour beans eventually. Oh, God, There yes. are some horrible flavours they've got, actually. Yes. It sounds very Japanese, to be honest, because they've got, like, curry-flavoured ice cream and all sorts of... You know, insane flavoured ice cream. Oh, this God, is just no. like a, a very small you know, step from that. Do you know what? Do you know? It's starting to, when you say that. It's starting to sound more like the Axis, uh, the Axis powers of sweets. Because Jelly yeah. Jelly Belly is a German company. <laughs> yeah, Japan, Germany, Axis. Oh, World War Two jokes, <laughs> aren't they hilarious? <laughs> it could be. They could have a uh, director. <sighs> All right. When you've got to explain your joke, you know you're onto a loser there, Rob. Oh, fine. Have it what, your way. What's the internet rule where all like uh, all all arguments eventually de- devolve into Nazism? Um, that's Godwin's law. Yeah, you, you're taking it that direction, dude. Well, Godwin's law just states that it's that, uh, but a lot of people say, "No, I win the argument because you went there." It's not part of it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Robot Revolution, cat whiskers. Cat Whiskers? Yes, Cat Whiskers. Uh, Berkeley Labs and the University of California, Berkeley, uh, California, Berkeley, have developed highly tactile sensors that work like Cat Whiskers. So they're making a, a robot cat for no reason whatsoever, just because they can make a robot cat. No, they didn't make the robot cat. Well, this is like the first step in towards like bionic cats. Hang on. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. So <laughs> instead of starting off with the cat, they started off with the whiskers. Oh, Yeah. What have all cats got? Whiskers, sorted. What's next? Ears, done. And then, you know, they're filling the back. The, well, they have the different gap. R&D teams working on different parts of the cat. Yeah, yeah. It's slowly... None of them know. None of them know about it. It's all independent. There's one yeah, person yeah. with a plan. And the... <laughs> but eventually they'll be assembling this mecha cat. It, it'd be like Lego at the end. Just <laughs> click it and, and sorted. <laughs> It's the future. It's the future. Why else are all those cats on the internet? You know, it's a conspiracy. This totally. is true. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, the Area 51's a conspiracy by rats, and the internet is ruled by cats. Yeah, I'm making this show. <laughs> this is going well. <laughs> Who are seeking to make their own mecha cats to... Uh, It'd be a cool law. Huge mecha me- cat. Mecha catzilla. <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I found... Um, for the uh, anniversary of, um, what's the name of the metal? Uh, Chogo King. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a special Chogo King version of Hello Kitty in the Mazinger Z style. In the Mazinger Z style? Yes. It has a little cockpit that Hello Kitty can sit in. It has two modes it can transform into, and it's a mecha Hello Kitty. That's a bit of a leap. Hello Kitty, nice little plushes. It's on, uh, you know, lunchboxes. Giant mecha. Where's the, where's the middle point there? As I said, cats are taking over the world, You can't man. see this, but Rob's face has barely moved in the past <laughs> minute. I think I've broke him. Cats no, are I'm taking just, over the I'm just kind of... Huh? <laughs> mecha, Hello Kitty. Persian cats, they're the, le- they're the ringleaders. No, no. Uh, 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 no, it's those hairless ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those hairless ones freak Like Mr. Freak Bigglesworth. Yes. 
They freak me out. Nobody buys them or owns them, so, you know, they're, they're conspiring. I'm sure actually, they're actually uh, those giant rats in disguise. There's an episode of Futurama where uh, all this is true, where cats are from another planet and have been conspiring <laughs> to, uh, to, rule, to rule us since Egyptian times. Yes. Wasn't that also kind of the... Uh, we stumbled on something well, here. Aside from, the, uh, <laughs> aside from the coming from another planet, wasn't that also the plot for Cats and Dogs as well? Yeah, but that's awful. Yeah, but this episode of Futurama has, like, uh, internet memes in it. Ah, yes. Anyway, um, these sensors are supposed to help robots feel and see their surrounding environments. Um, Mecha cat. Totally. <laughs> I jumped the gun, but I was totally right there. <laughs> I called it. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm not going to go into any more detail about that. If you No, it makes sense, because, like, whiskers, like, they can pick up vibrations. It's a good, like, looking at nature to figure out what works as a sensory input and, like, develop oh. robotics further. Yeah, good idea. And also, mecha cats. If they're making mecha cats, they need to give it eyes, because just a giant mecha cat with no eyes would freak me out so bad. That's, that's terrifying. I am not sleeping tonight. And neither it's is anybody right. else listening to this show. They'll put a giant mecha bell on its collar so you'll know it's coming. <laughs> oh no, it'll be like, all you hear is gong, gong, as it's moving around. And just people running through the streets. Yes. <laughs> oh. It's mecha cats! This is terrifying. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> oh, mecha cat versus the cannibal oh, rats. This yeah. Mecha cat versus the cannibal rats. Maybe this is what, like, they develop mecha cat to, uh, to like, get rid of the cannibal rats. But then, <laughs> what <laughs> have we done? Like, what's going to get rid of Mecha Cats? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> we Robo this, Dog. We should make Robo Dog. <laughs> make giant planets made out of yarn. That'll stop them. <laughs> so Atlantic. far, we've kept it distracted with the red laser. <laughs> but it's not going to last forever. <laughs> Fill the Atlantic with kitty litter. <laughs> we've got a plan. Good. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, moving on. WTF Ward number one, virtual gender bending. Oh, is this uh, the machine to be another? Yeah, the it's Oculus Rifty thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, people like on MMOs and things like that will often choose an avatar of a different gender. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, a friend of mine wrote an article, <laughs> uh, well, friend of a friend wrote an article about how uh, World of Warcraft help her, helped her come out as transsexual. Hmm. So, yeah. I mean, like, it's a place people can experience things like that they can't in real life. So I guess uh, it's a way of acceptance. And, uh, yeah, it's probably not going to be anything like this is what's, uh, what's going on in this article, is it? Um, it is a little bit of what you're talking about. But... Um it's one of those weird things that you just kind of okay. I understand why you're doing it, but the the scope for this to be abused is massive. In what way? The other person who's where who's actually doing the actions has to uh, has to continuously agree to do the actions. So money will eventually come into it. Wait, what? Um, so how does it work? Basically, what you do, you put on the Oculus Rift and you tell. Uh, and another person is basically wearing like uh, binocular cameras, right? And they are doing things using their body, right. right? But you have the sensation of it being your body because you're effectively seeing through their eyes. Okay, well, not tactilely, but like just not tactilely, yeah. but not tactilely, but visually, right? Right. 
Um, now you think about some of the technology that they've come out with. So you can have like touch sensors on your hands and stuff like that. All of that stuff is already available. You merge that with this, and you've effect- you're effectively living in someone else's body. Well, you don't really have direct control. Uh, you, you have they have to agree to it. You know, they have to agree to do the things that you're asking them to do. But that's where the scope for this to be abused comes in. It doesn't sound like something you can easily do or... It's not something that you could easily do, but, you know, there are certain people who, if you offer them money, will do certain things. Is what I'm saying. Moving on. Yes. Anyway, uh, I've seen Strange Days. I know the truth. I was looking at the Dog of the Month trophy during that. I'm week. not sure what <laughs> I know, that's I all about. Anyway, I find this. Uh, I, I understand why they're doing this. It just seems, you know, and uh, a little for bit some odd. reason. Yes, the trophy that Rob was looking at is uh, some sort of Greyhound Dog of the Month that's randomly on the desk. Yes, he's now taking a photo. Is it going to go on the Twitter? You know it is. Totally. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, I I don't know why it's there. It's been there for a while. Anyway, moving on. Uh, second WTF award, Sexy Prime. Go on. Right. On 80s tees at, uh, at the moment, you can buy Sexy Transformers costumes. Nice. There is Sexy Optimus, Sexy Megatron, and Sexy Bumblebee. Can I see? <laughs> no, it, it's just basically it's really, doing camp, it for me. really campy 80 things. Is it bad that I immediately recognise the Prime and Megatron designs are from animated, Transformers animated? Yes. Right, okay. But it's true, <laughs> they are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's that chest on Optimus. Uh, yeah, that's definitely Transformers animated. Uh, you just gotta. Um, it doesn't matter how attractive the women wearing them are. There's nothing sexy about these costumes. Nothing. I what kind of, what uh, what person would want to go to, to uh get jiggy with Megatron? Dude, have you been on the internet? <laughs> yes, I have, and I know rule 34 applies <laughs> if you think it it exists. That's the rule of the internet. Though. Yeah. Um it's just there is. Uh, I don't find these attractive in any way. Well, well yeah. As I say, not particularly sexy costumes. I, give, me, <laughs> give me five minutes. I'll design you a sexier Transformers costume, <laughs> and that can go on the Twitter as well. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emily Brady, and I'm Alice Nuttall, and you're listening to the Geek Show, and we're from FootloseComics.com. And uh, today we're talking. Bendy stentialism, apparently. Yes. I don't understand it, but I heard Rob understands something. It's basically all about kind of world, mind, genre bending, that sort of thing. Dude. Yeah, I No, it, it's not. Well, world and really. mind bending kind of thing. Well, the inspir- we got an interview with uh, Don Coscrater there, who directed John Dies at the End, and the sort of the unifying theme there is it just it bends around with the world physics. Yeah. Which, when I thought of that well Rob suggested it but I thought of it I went in more of the uh, inception sense yeah how it's a world and it just plays around with what that world is yeah like an MCS you're painting kind of thing yeah yeah Yeah. that sort of thing not so much as existentialism because that's that's dull frankly let's be honest well I was just using the formal definition of existentialism which is why I came up with bendy stentialism (laughs) 
<laughs> Not going to explain that. No, I was just, I was just you, leaving that. Yeah, uh, leave as it is. So it was awkward silence, and don't you dare edit that out. <laughs> it's already gone. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Why are these types of movies then? Why are things like mind world genre bending movies or whatever they are, however you want to describe them, why are they an important part of the movie industry? They're not. Name one world-bendy thing which hasn't been uh, directed by somebody who's got, like, serious traction or serious, you know, influence with their name. Name somebody who's not that, and the film's been a success. That question's a mess. No, I didn't say they were a success. I no, said, no. I'm asking why they're important. They're not. To be important, you have to impart influence. Okay. And influence is best imparted through, you know, financial success by being a bit out there. Yes. And films like this, who aren't, you know, Christopher Nolan... Is a very small oh, Kubrick. Yeah, right, it's a non-existent, no. non-existent list there. I guess I get what you're saying, but um, I don't think a film has to be successful financially to change the zeitgeist of well, uh, it's a myth, yeah. the industry. Like um, in terms of tonally, or people will see like um, effects of, like or like things are like in the tone, even if the the film wasn't a financial success. Yeah, it can influence um, directors, other directors. It can influence. Uh, people making the films it can also influence the public in a way that a blockbuster might not that makes more money might not necessarily do true blockbuster is a dirty word now frankly isn't it but uh i was i was mainly using uh, inception as the influence there I mean look at now how many of these world bendy stuff things have happened since inception was like the biggest of big blockbusters i think it broke a billion yeah if, if memory serves and it's just you know that was what my angle I guess. Uh, well, movies are cyclical like that. They copy things and assume that that's what the, the formula to success is. And it's not always. I think Inception was uh, it was good at the time for being fresh and different, but if you look hmm. at it too closely, it's a bit overly complex for the sake of it. Well, there is that, yeah. And I don't like that sort of suggestion that happened at the time, that it's a sci-fi where you know it rewards intelligence. No, it's kind of dumb, yeah, frankly. Definitely, <laughs> but... Yeah, it makes you feel smart if you understand it. Yeah, it, yeah, you got your big pipe, big boy pants on. I got Inception. I'm clever. That's yes. it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not just that. I mean, you go back through uh, films, and it's not just sci-fi either. I mean, look at uh, Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty wonky worldview they got going on there. The way uh, space works in I can't remember. Is there a name for the Labyrinth, or is it just called the Labyrinth? I can't remember. I don't know. Because yeah, the way uh, the Goblin King, what's he called, David Bowie, just messes around with that place, it, it's got no sort of attention paid to physics there. It's just, I'm in charge, I'll do whatever I want, thank you very much. And he, he is a ditty. He's a nice little ditty with some Muppets oh, on my can, side. Yeah, you can <laughs> perform any physics-bending alter, mind and world-altering thing if you've got a good song behind it. And Muppets. You know, and Muppets, yeah. It's a twofer, you know, it's not exclusive. But uh, does it necessarily make these things influential if they just change? Oh, I, I think some things can stick in the mind a bit. Um, Is that just a... Uh, ooh, that was interesting, rather than anything more substantial than that? It depends. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, things like uh, Alice in Wonderland's quite, <laughs> like, influential, despite, like, not being... A, it's not a brilliant book, but it's... 
influenced yeah. a lot yeah. of people to to do like a lot of films from it, a lot of mm. like uh, it's clear takes it was, on the world. Yeah, it was clear what he was doing while he was writing that story. Yes, lots and lots and lots and lots of drugs. What about like Lynch, Cronenberg, that lot? Well, that's Dream Logic, isn't it? Dream Logic is a completely different thing where it doesn't actually attempt to make any sense. It just you know when you like when you're asleep, you. Your dreams don't exactly weave in some sort of cohesive narrative, do they? Mm. If you need a way, somehow your dreams will tell you you need to. Don't make any sense, it just will tell you. Yeah. And that's, that's a really weird way of summing up David Lynch. <coughs> but I did it. <laughs> I likened needing a toilet to David Lynch. Okay. In a, in a, you know, a, a very respectful way. I do think he's a great director, but yeah. I compared him to needing a toilet. Only on the Geek Show. <laughs> <laughs> There's one of the trails right there. <laughs> oh, no, no, just no. <laughs> uh, yeah, but are they important? Uh, not really. I'm not saying it's not beloved, they're not great films, but name a, to a, influential is it'll hit some jaw on the street in some way, in the terms of films anyway. And you tell somebody on the ask somebody in the street, what do you think of David Lynch? And they go, who? It'd be blank expression. Yeah, I'm not talking about influential, I'm talking about important. Mm. Influential and important are two different things. Important according to who? Well, that's why... Film critics. I know I'm sort of one, but our opinion means nothing, (laughs) frankly. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just saying important in general. In the same way... Let me put it this way, right... In the art world, you have the ones that they call the masterpieces, your Van Goghs, your Rubens, that sort of thing, you know. Brian Sewell's opinion matters to, oh, nothing either. Yeah, that's right, Sewell. I'm coming for you. But, I mean, (laughs) people hold up these things and say, yes, this is a masterpiece, even things like The Scream, which is just totally weird. uh, You can't really compare art to movies. Art. I thought movies were art. No, art exists for art's sake. Yes. And not many movies exist just for art's sake. It's a very small group. Like Kenneth Angers, you know, people like that. Yeah. Really, people come out of left field and just did it and disappeared as quickly as each other. I guess you've got to make your money back on a film, really. Well, it, yeah. There are people that need to be paid. I mean, what was he called? The guy who did Devil's uh, Kenneth Ken Russell? He wasn't a particularly successful guy but he was very influential and he was basically locked out of the industry where he ended up making films in his shed mm-hmm. people like that are artists so you can't really compare art critics or art being accepted where did we get this from anyway i don't what know talking rob about? just keeps demanding answers what is it important what are you doing rob what's this art stuff come about what we're talking about i just asked I'm getting confused. I just asked if the if these sorts of movies were important to the movie industry. No, but what movies are? What is an important movie? Uh, Cannibal Rats versus Mecha oh, Cat. Yes, that is an important it, movie. It, it's a stop. Mil- it's a clear animation as well, so we'll go for this. Yeah, I think it should awesome. be a bit Harryhausen. That would work. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. a skeleton sequence just thrown in there for absolutely no reason, but why not? <laughs> Surely, if you saw Dragon's Teeth, you get dragons. Are you poking holes in Harryhausen's log- mythology? Yes. <sighs> you know, on the packet, it should say comes up dragons. Anyway. I, w- I was trying to, you know, manufacture an awkward silence there. My brain hurts. But you kept on talking, so you ruined it. I again. know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay, if you wanted to make 
uh, if you had the budget, let's imagine you had the budget, okay? Because we know cost is going to come in, going to be one of the restrictions. But if you had the budget and you wanted to make, say, uh, a movie like Inception where you play around with the physics of the world and stuff like that, or play around with the physics of reality and stuff... What sort of problems would you actually face, or do you think you'd face? Well, everything. I mean, imagine how hard it was. I don't know what the budget for Inception was, but like the, the scenes where the world falls in in itself. Yeah. To do something where you change and play around with physics, you really got to go out on the limb now. You can't just go half attempted, you know. Oh, yeah, it'd be much easier to do it animated, like yeah. even CG, because um, you do have the world at your... Uh, as, to, to do with that as you will, at your uh, wins, yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, the world is not a Rubik's Cube, believe it or not. It's there, it sticks, you know, it's done. But animation is the way to do this sort of stuff. I guess exception, uh, like uh, acceptance for it would be a problem as well. That if you throw something that out there, out into out the... There, yeah. yeah <laughs> how is it going to go down with people, with critics, with... If you're spending all this money on your uh, crazy effects to show this uh, bizarre world you've got... What's that new one coming out with the Upside Down? Uh, I'm not sure where. I think it's called Upside Down. And there are two worlds parallel yeah. to each other. Oh, one's just oh, upside that down one. to the other. Yeah, that could be quite interesting. And so, like the scenes where people are working in an office, and one's working on the ceiling of the other's office. I Didn't they do an anime you. of that though? Uh, I think it's uh, Patema. How close are they though? Because if they're like within touching distance, you could mess about with no, people. Uh, like Patemai, sorry, pink something from the other person's planet's pocket. And they never know what happened. Well, from the <laughs> the trailer I saw, the the point of it seems to be about like a forbidden romance. For oh, the, like it's the always two. that. But um, yeah, there's there's some quite striking shots I saw in there that make it look like yeah, this could be quite. You got a point there. I mean, uh, there was a film a few years ago called Another Earth, in which it was just a normal, very indie indie film, and in a very low budget film, and with a a few bits of photography he made it look like there was another earth in the atmosphere of earth so it doesn't need to be a huge budget it just matters of uh, if you're going to do something like this it just bends with physics how is it going to actually impact people because not everybody can do something subtle and not everybody can do something large because you know either or you'll hit a brick wall and bore, each, bore people eventually mm -hmm. so really where does the line stand there because it's such it crosses every genre. I mean, mostly people think of sci-fi, but there's horror films where it's, the world is bent. I know it's a spoiler to say it, but Cabin in the Woods, yeah, uh, Detention, they're just messing around with physics like it's going out of fashion. So, really, it, it's just such a large spread there. You can really go anywhere or do anything with it. It's quite an interesting sort of thing to do in movies. Okay, cool, yeah. Um... Sorry, my brain stopped. You're getting all too wordy for me, and I can't deal. Words! <laughs> yeah, I, I had a, an influx of energy, so I'd use it. <laughs> yes. Uh... I'm going to insert more caffeine into my face. <laughs> but it's a point, though. I mean, you can go in so many directions with yeah. this stuff. It's, it's an interesting sort of thing in cinema, but it's not necessarily influential. It's not necessarily important. It can be just as schlocky as it can, you know, yeah. zeitgeisty. So it's really broad. Okay. Frankly. All right. Okay, then, uh, Pick of the Geek, then. Uh, your top three <laughs> movies of that type. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, I forgot about that existing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much reality. It's, 
Well, uh, it is. It's it mem- is, yeah. When it, it does, like, the memories being wiped away, that is total physics yeah. bending. Yeah. And the way that scenes meld together in a sort of dream logic style and uh, yeah. stuff like that, it's, it, yeah. That's what I'm going for. Great film as well. Yeah. Great film. John, um, uh, Jim Carrey did an acting. He can do this. It was accidental, but he apologised for it afterwards. <laughs> um, I'll uh, jump in. I've got three right now. Go on then. Uh, being John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. I, I, there's a, a portal. He stole that. He stole that from there's me. There's a portal <laughs> to a world where you see the, the world through the, the eyes of John Malkovich behind the... Uh, Behind the filing cabinet, basically. Is that how you stole the idea from Rob there? You used your portal into the mine? <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> never. Never. And they've got a shout-out for Cabin in the Woods because it's just so fun. The last half an hour is just super gory, insane, world-bendy stuff. Yeah. And uh, I have to mention Labyrinth as well because it's Labyrinth. Seriously, people. It's Labyrinth. If you don't like that, you're broken. All right. Um, oh, if you do, don't like it, I'm I'm very sorry. You're not really broken. I just disagree with you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Since he's going with those three, I will shout out for John dies at the end. Even though he's only seen half of it. No, I've seen it all now. Oh. <laughs> that was a good awkward silence. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We got one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I've seen all of it now. Um, I will shout out for John dies at the end um, because it is an enjoyable movie. It makes no sense. Don't make a liquor sense, but <laughs> don't make it a bad movie. Yeah, but that's the point. You know, it's really enjoyable. Um, and I'm going to go with... Uh, uh, you guys will probably shout at me for this, but I'm going to say what dreams may come. I'm not oh! oh! Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one. That's got some cool world-bendy stuff. I hate you so much. With uh, You just nicked my... God! Oh. <laughs> One nil or two nil or whatever it is. <laughs> Freddy Krueger does some that's cool work. You've nicked off me. With his big long stretchy arms. That's a cool shot. Yes. And coming through the bed with his arms. That's I was going to say cool Nightmare on Elm Street next. Um, Hated. Yes, but it's I still know. cool. Um, but yeah, what dreams may come? It's the one where Robin Williams dies and uh, ends up in heaven. It's just a matter of life and death. There's another one. That's kind of world bendy. Is this going to be one of those episodes <laughs> where you just pop up uh, uh, throughout the rest of the episode just yes. with extra movies? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making any promises. Um, oh, damn it. He's nicked two of the ones that I was going to say. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, no, uh, don't go to the internet. That's uh-huh. cheating. I'm not. I'm Christopher Sabat, the voice of Vegeta, Piccolo, Yamcha, and a few others on Dragon Ball Z. And the Geek Show is over 9,000! <laughs> a scanner darkly. Is that animated? Yes. It's not. It's rotoscoped, which is basically animation. Yes. No. We're partially animated. Yeah. 50-50, goes both ways. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That is that his excuse for not being nominated for all the awards. <laughs> yeah. It goes both ways. You can't have both cakes and eat them. <laughs> all right. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, moving on. World talking, bendy stuff. Yeah, world bendy stuff. Uh, what actually makes a game kind of fit that mould? Well, games, you create the world from scratch, so you can do what you want with it. Yeah. In a way, what makes a game be realistic is, like, just as valid a question. 
that like the rules that you use in a game are an abstract concept anyway. Yeah. Um, like even viewing Mario from a side perspective while he runs from le- right left to right is pretty surreal and abstract when you actually break it down. It's kind of the re- reason surrealism is dead as a media because we have things like uh, games and uh, animated things in, in our face all the time that we can't really like. Uh, it's not a shocking idea to us to uh, weird juxtapositions of things. Yeah. Uh, the idea of representing someone's uh, health on top of their head. That's uh, something that like uh, a painter a hundred years ago would have been like uh, thinking it was uh, an amazing idea, but it's actually just like a, a method of mechanics when it comes to games. Really, the only way they can do this sort of stuff is fourth wall breaking. Hmm. How uh, the lead character will reference the fact it's a game well, and break down the fact that it's a game. Like, yeah, that. I'd say it's not how the game affects the world because the, the, the game is the world. Yeah. It's about how the game affects you, the player. Yeah, and uh, if you've ever played Metal Gear Solid Two, there's a section towards the end. That I remember being quite striking when the um, oh yes I remember that when the UI starts to mess up when you start to oh, get yeah. very strange Kodak messages yeah and uh, you even have a game over screen that's not a game over screen yeah that's that's a total Matrix sequel bit of that game it just makes you think you know what's going on but no no you, yeah. d- you don't it makes yeah, but sense isn't that like resolved, Metal Gear yeah, yeah isn't that like the entirety of the Metal Gear saga yeah I'm pretty sure but the the, uh, the Colonel actually tells you to turn off the 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 console yeah during this section because you've yeah. uh, failed at the game yep I'm pr- you know I'm pretty sure Metal Gear Solid makes perfect sense it's just been you know translated badly <laughs> <laughs> let's be fair it won't be a first <laughs> but there are games that like um, that do sort of like literal world bending things like Psychonauts is very uh, you're going into the worlds within people's heads yeah so you you see their dreamscapes and what makes that up, and the different characters have completely different uh, different worlds. Have you played the game at all? Yes, Milkman. Oh it's, god, uh, the Milkman. Yeah, <laughs> I like the uh, the Lungfish actually. Have you, I can't remember that. Um, you you like, play as like a kaiju in that one. Oh, they consider yes, you yes, sort yes. of like a, a giant monster. Yes, I remember that. Which is quite strange because the Lungfish in uh, in real in reality is. Uh, this huge hulking thing. Yeah. And then within his brain, it's loads of tiny little lungfishes running around, uh, scared of you wrecking buildings and things. And that was a game that needed a sequel. That was just... Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Tim, Tim Schafer could probably generate like enough money to make a sequel in seconds on Kickstarter, but could he yeah. deliver? Uh, what's his recent game? Is it Broken? What Broken Edge. How was that? I don't know yet. I've not played it yet. Apparently it's broken into two now. Yeah, yeah, that's a common thing in games. It's, uh... I'm just wondering, you know, you would you would talk, you mentioned the whole bit from the end of Metal Gear Solid. They do that sometimes in a few games, but, you know, when you're, like, drunk or poisoned or something like that, you know, in some games, and Go especially on, the yeah. first-person examples. Go on. I'm trying to remember. Well, I know what you mean. Sometimes yeah. if you're drunk, it blurs the vision of the character, so like it changes the controls, or yeah. you won't be able to move the same way. I see what you mean there. Uh, there are times where you go down sort of like psychological trips with the character, and like if it's done well, yeah. then you as a player also get confused about the situation, or you uh, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Arkham is very good at that when it goes in the uh, scarecrow sequences. Yeah. Yes. That is a very weird. That's spell, that's well, basically what the I'm first thinking. one where you don't know where it's happening where, yeah. with the mortuary. That's really good. They try to copy it in the second one with the Mad Hatter. I yeah. Think, and it just yeah. it was a bit desperate on that. Uh, what other games was there? What about those God Sims? In that you can actually change the world. Yeah, directly. literally. You know, so you can like raise mountains and you know create uh, you know split islands and stuff like that. I wouldn't say that's particularly world, but you could make like bizarre things in Minecraft, but hmm. it's still using the rules that like are, are within the game, really. World bending is like an existing world yeah. in which you manipulate that. With Minecraft, it's here's a blank slate, go nuts. Yeah. So I wouldn't really call that world. Well, I'm not. Uh, I'm not talking so much about my, uh, Minecraft. Uh, it's the same with any game like that, really. Little Big Planet. You could argue that's got world bendy uh, things, but no, it's yeah. kind of here's a blank slate, go at it. Yeah, I'm talking about say the uh, what was that recent one uh, from Dust, right? For I've example, not played that yet. Um, basically, you have the basics already there, and you have to manipulate them, create islands. Wasn't that the one where you've got like a group of people who were living in this planet, and you've got to make sure they survive, get rid of the storms, and do all these yeah, other bits? Basically, yeah. and I think you play a giant thumb or something. In the game. I think that's your, you know, avatar. I think something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was that good. I'm not saying it was that good. I'm saying, you know, what about that? Because you are effectively breaking the rules of well, you that just, particular... By that logic, you could say that pretty much any sort of uh, strategy game is world-bending, and that's... Because that's basically what From Dust is. It's a strategy game. It's yeah. A, or a tower defence thing, you could call that. Because that's basically a big part of what From Dust is. Well, in a way, things like uh, the new Rayman, uh, when you play that two-player, we, we're playing it with uh, the Wii pad and the... Um, and on the screen at the same time, and one player just manipulates the environment around you. Like, they lower yeah. down platforms and things like that. It's all very scripted, though. Yeah. There's mm. not, like, you can't do it to your heart's content or change things, but, like, it is making, like, that sort of um, changing the world as a, as a mechanic. I mm. guess, like, any sort of mechanic, if you've got to, like, achieve a goal you have to have some sort of level of linearity to it. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Hmm. <coughs> is the uh, is Okay. Uh, are there any games where you don't have that, though, that linearity? Well, Minecraft. Yeah, aside from but, Minecraft. Well, no, that's what kind of makes a game a game. To be honest. Linearity? Well, no, just it's sort just of like a script to it. Yeah, you, you have, a you have rules. I see. You have rules, um, and you have a win condition generally. You know, if if it was a going hmm. back to board games, if it was a board game without a way to win, you probably wouldn't. All rules, it probably uh, wouldn't work. I mean, the only sort of non-linear, like generally non-linear stuff is Minecraft. And going back all the way to Sinclair, where people could just. Build themselves. your own games. Yeah, that's about as far as you're going to get with you know non-linear. I mean, they usually use non-linear as a term for it's open world, and you know the Red Dead Redemptions mm -hmm. of the GTA's, but yeah, it still has that scripted path going all the way through it. You can take your time and investigate, but it is still a linear experience with no world bending. 
I wouldn't say it's world bending, but like it um, can be. Katamari Damacy. Did you play like what was his game? He, he followed that by. I think it was like a three pounds uh, game on PSN, which you can't say on radio. Nobby Nobby Boy. Oh right. Yes, that was that was true world bending. He's just a good citizen, though, really, isn't he, Katamari? He's yeah. cleaning up. Um, yeah, you can, like, roll people up into that ball and things, though. And planets and stuff, and but he's cleaning up, he's, he's sorting things out. They get made into stars. Haven't there been, like, three Katamari games? Uh, there's a couple, it's been ported to most. There's, uh, there's only the first one was worth any There was Kat- Katamari Daisuke, which, uh, you know, uh, we love Katamari, and there's Katamari Damasi, and I can't remember the other one. No one can. Doesn't matter. Doesn't anyway. matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, but I think where most of the world sort of really interesting physics are coming in now is in indie games. Yes. In stuff because they don't really have some sort of obligation to be a game in the traditional sense. They can just go nuts with a blank canvas and make yeah. whatever they want to. Like the Sinclair, sort of a, a open coding base. And there's well, a platform that, for it with PSN and Xbox. Wasn't that kind of like, the rationale between like flower and floor? Yeah, but we can do it. You they're know. just super pretentious, to be honest. Yeah, I know. I know they work well as games and the whole six axis thing's cute, but wow, are they pretentious? You're a flower picking up petals. Could there be a more pretentious conceit for a game than that? See, I would have liked. Um, have you played uh, Alice Madness Returns? Yes. If that was a little bit more world bendy and trippy, it would have actually been. A little oh, bit better. I actually agree with you. Um, but it is an underrated game, for it is. Um, I can see why people don't rate it high. Like, the, the platforming yeah. and hack and slash is quite... Like, you, you you just sort of endure it to get to the next section to see, like, the uh, the art yeah, is beautiful. But, uh, but don't you do that with most games like that? Um, no, I found that things like... Uh, the ones I genuinely enjoy, like uh, Devil May Cry 3, I enjoyed the combat as well. So I wasn't just doing it to advance. Okay. I was actually enjoying the actual, like, the combat and the bosses and things, so uh, it wasn't just to see the next bit, whereas in Alice I found, like, I wanted to see the next bit, find the next cutscene, or, like... I started, so I'll finish, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, it's worth it. Like, there's some, like, lovely art in it, and there's, like, some brilliant set pieces that, like... (laughs) Um, there's some, there's a the second level's underwater, and there's some bizarre things going on there, and it's yeah. it's quite cool. Mm. But um, in terms of design, it's imaginative. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The uh, the caterpillars world looks really good. It's like based off a very like um, uh, Japanese kind of influence. Yeah, uh, but also blended with these sort of strange cricket things. So it's quite strange and quite cool. Time travel tends to be the big ticky box. Because, you know, the multiple timelines thing, that's when it gets mm-hmm. a bit messy. And to do that efficiently, you really have to change the world to reflect the fact the fact that time is going all a bit skewed. Yeah. That's a common, you know, the only thing where it is actually a common through line, world-bendy stuff in games, where if you're a game about time travel. Yeah. I would think of some witty examples, but I'm just... I think the reason people have got excited about uh, Watch Dogs as part of that is like manipulating the modern world in which we live in. Because uh, the guy with obviously yeah. he's got the phone he can hack things with. Yeah. And it's sort of bending <laughs> the rules that we have to abide by. Is it just me who doesn't seize that as Assassin's Creed but modern day? Possibly, yes. Well, no, it, it's, it's Ubisoft, seen... so, you know. They... From the things they've shown in the trailers, 
Yeah. It seems like there could be infinite possibilities to solve things. Until we play it, we don't know that. Yeah, that's true. Is that actually out yet? No. Yeah, it, it was going to be a launch title for PS4, but it got yeah. delayed. I uh, couldn't remember when it was delayed, too. Uh, Pick of the Geek? Yes. It's top three genre bending. Oh, mind bending games. More mind bending than genre. Psychonauts, I'm claiming it. Are we got to have a sort of a pantheon of titles which we can't mention anymore? And I think Psychonauts has to go in there because it seems too much of an easy answer for everything, frankly. Hate you really? so much. Ah, it's such a good game, though. I think that's ah, such a good game. Play. It's like pretty much every third week we mention Psychonauts <laughs> in the Pick of the Geek. Do we? No. <laughs> well, my mind, we do. Okay. <laughs> Any others? Or are you just going to drop Psychonauts there? Um, I'll think of a couple more. You guys go. Oh, no pressure, Lena. Okay, um, Portal. Not the, second, not the second one? Is that his, well, it's better. just an extension of the first. The, 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 the reality-bending idea is in the first one and the oh, second yeah. one, but, like... Oh, I just thought that maybe they'd mastered it in the second one where they were just getting the idea there in the first. Oh, the second one's a much better game, definitely. Uh, probably, like, I probably, like, bashed through it a, a bit faster, but that's partly because I was a bit more used to it. And partly the level design was a little bit better. I mean, a bit more intuitive. You could figure things yeah. out and you knew what you were doing. It's generally hard because it's in every game, near enough, every other game, but good examples of this stuff. Hmm. It's so few and far in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, every yeah, there's like, even like old Sonic the Hedgehog's games, there's bits like uh, once you get to the Death Egg stage in Sonic and Knuckles... Uh, gravity keeps flipping. Like, yeah, you'll you'll be running on the ceiling yeah, instead yeah. of the floor, and it keeps flipping <coughs> where you are in the level. And they, they didn't like there's games that will make that an entire crux of the game, like uh, V V V V V V V V V V V. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, one. Was, what was that game recently where you had like, the gravity gun where you could mold the? I think it was. What was it again? It was a, like a third person, you know, cover shooter. Well, you had, like, a gravity gun. Saying gravity gun, I'm immediately thinking portal. That's portal. just what we've just been talking about, dude. Yes, I know. And it's not the gravity gun in portal. Gravity gun in Half Life. Yes, that was it. Sorry, <laughs> that's not really. It's just a gun. No, the gravity gun is in Half Life. It's quite a cool gun. It's when you get those razor things and chop hmm. off zombies' heads. But you know, it's just a gun. Hmm. Damn it! I'm trying to think of others, but all the ones that are popping in my head have something to do with magic and magic works within the rule within the rules of that particular game's world can do Ooh, what was it called? it's a bit of a spoiler and it's not really world bendy but uh what was it called oh it was an rpg playstation 2 area where this is a very sort of globe trotting one and you get to a certain point and you realize everything you've been playing is inside of a game star ocean Start, yes, Until that, the end of time. Yes, that was... I agree with it's you It's not so much one. a great game, but what that, it did there, that was very... It's a spoiler, yeah. but what is it, like a 12-year-old game or something now? Yeah. Um, it's just really clever where they twisted the world on its end like that. Yeah, it, it, it caught me off guard, that. Um, I was thinking, oh, yeah, the big bad, yeah, have to save the it was, it was very vanilla, yeah. don't get me wrong, but that twist, it was just such a well-done thing. Do you know, saying that, I think I'm going to go with Shadow Hearts 1 and 2. Shouldn't really mm. put them in the pantheon as well, there, any 
An easy answer for you. Well, not really, because... Oh, Dark Chronicle. There you go. You make da- your own worlds. Yeah, Dark Chronicle. Well, well, no, you basically, you can go backwards and forwards in, in time. But I like Dark Chronicle because of... You can see the effects that you What was the third one? There was a series that was Dark Chronicle, Dark Cloud and Dark... Something. That was it. That was it. There was a third one. There wasn't a third one. I'm pretty sure there was. Nope. Am I imagining stuff? Yes. Okay. I've got to stop eating cheese before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Shadow Hearts had a third one, which nobody admits exists. Um, but Shadow Hearts 1 and 2, I liked because it did have that whole time travel type bit. Um, but it was also very, very kind of weird in the sense of kind of magic and reality and time travel and how this thing affected that thing and all sorts of weird stuff like that okay cool i can't think of anything (laughs) i think i've mentioned quite a few during that section but all of them have disappeared from my mind now max Payne. oh yeah i think i said max Payne, didn't i that's old hat now oh no i said that before that's why in i was suggesting it again in the before times yes <laughs> because of like like arkham the way it like blends in with the the dream yeah. sequences and yeah, the flashbacks yeah, and the fantasies and uh everything starts to unravel quite a bit th- towards the end it's become quite you know common now mm. but that was a, a start on that Ooh. sort of thing uh then i'm gonna say silent hill which one the first one that's kind of lost in history now though hasn't it i mean the hd collections have kind of they ignored it, complete it, it, completely refused completely. it. It's a shame, really, because I honestly think people no. say Silent Hill 2 is the best, but nah, it's Silent not. Hill, the original Silent Hill, it, if you've never played the original Silent Hill and you think Silent Hill 2 is the best, go out and find Silent Hill and also, play it. You know the thing that always bugged me about Silent Hill, though? The fact that it's scary because the mechanics don't quite work, that just always wound me up, because that's just not true. No. It's scary because it's really scary. Yeah, it's scary because <laughs> it's scary. It's not because the mechanics don't work, they just kind of add to the effect. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Pyramid Head, is that scary because the controls are a bit f- uh, stiff? No, nope. no, it's not. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the fact. Yeah, Pyramid Head got ripped off by Resident Evil. <laughs> Did he? In what? Oh, Nemesis. Is Nemesis that? No, yeah, you know those uh, giant things in uh, that turn up in the later Resident Evils? Not really. Tyrants and things like that? Yeah. No, they've been in since the early ones. They're just generally like... They haven't been in since the early ones. Pretty sure it was in Resident number two. Evil 1, 2, or 3. Pretty sure it was yeah, in number there's, 2. There's, there's a tyrant in 2. He's big Oh, no, thing. not those guys. Not the not uh, not like the nemesis type guys. I'm on about uh, the ones that are swinging around the big axes and stuff. Yeah. They had them in like the later movies as you well. St- stop eating all the cheese, Rob. It, it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> No, it exists. <laughs> I know it exists. If you think Rob's right, hashtag at the Geek Show. I can't remember what they're called, though. Hi there. I'm Robert Rankin, and you're listening to the, the Geek Show. Oh, yes. We've got reviews for you now, yes. starting with Rob. Uh, Kiss of the Damned. Zan Cassavetes, son, or daughter, oh, sorry, I should say, of John Cassavetes, has made a vampire movie in the sort of traditional sense of what a vampire should be. It's a very erotic creature, it's a very erotic film, and it pays a lot of sort of uh, cues to 1960s and 70s and European cinema. Uh, the basic story is uh, Juna is a very reluctant woman, she stays and she doesn't go outside, and uh, going outside, contrary to uh, synopsis of her, she goes to a video star. In the video star she meets Paolo, who's played by uh, Peter Petrelli, the actor who played Peter Petrelli in Heroes. And the, the spark forms there, and uh, as that spark forms, 
uh, Paolo gets drawn into this world of vampires, and it's the problem I have in that little setup is the fact that if you are a vampire and you have uh, been around for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands, you wouldn't just go around uh, biting people and turning them willy nilly. You would get hunted down so quick. So there's a little bit of a character trait that took me out of it. It just didn't feel true. Uh, but the general gist of the film is the best parts of it is in the actual world building. The fact that it has this idea of uh, dra- uh, dragons, <laughs> vampires, have survived because they have set up this society, this little community where they work for each other, where they move from city to city before they are noticed. And it works perfectly well, and it'll have you thinking after the film's finished. But uh, the way it works, it's a very snobby society they're formed. They refuse to... And it's not snobby to say they don't eat animals. No, they don't eat humans. They work off synthetic blood and dead animals. What's snobby is they're classy, very snobby people. And uh, the person who shakes this up is uh, Juna's sister, Mimi, who is everything you think a vampire should be. She is a monster. She tears through the film. and She gives it a real urgency and vibrancy that the sort of sleazy aspect of it is amped up to its highest proportion and it's very good it's very well works well within that but the problem i had with it is it is all pinned on this romantic story between paolo and juna which has a really fierce uh, love scene early on and from that it just kind of fizzles out and yet it's still the main focus and to have that in a story where the world building so strong and the way Mimi shakes it up so good frankly it's a bit disappointing that they pin all the things on this story this love story what the characters and all the director cares all that much about really it's it's a solid three star film it's a genre fans rather than just a v- genre is in a vampire rather than horror fans as a generality mm-hmm. yeah okay okay yeah Right, um, my one is Hakuoki um, Shinsengumi Kitan, or, you know, <laughs> Memories of the Shinsengumi, or whatever you want to call it. It's uh, it's a bit of a strange one. It's very much a bishy fest. Okay, right. do go on. In the... Uh, in the... In... Uh, it's very much a bishy fest in the truest sense of, uh, of the word. There is one female protagonist... At the start of the series, and she... Reverse harem. Yeah, it's a reverse harem, right? Basically, uh, it's uh, Chizuru Yukimura. She is going to... uh, She's going to find her lost dad, right? Okay. Her dad is a... He he deals in uh, Western medicine. This is set during the Edo period. uh, When you said Chinsengumi, that's wise. (laughs) Yes, I know. I thought I'd better clarify that, because Gintama... um, and that's also one of the problems when you're watching this series, if you're a fan of Gintama. But I'll get to that in a second. Um, Chizuru Yukimura, Yukimura has... Uh, she's gone to Kyoto to look for her t- her missing dad. He's been missing for a month. She doesn't know where, where he is. She gets accosted by two rogue samurai who start chasing her. She's dressed as a boy, right? So they mm. ch- start chasing her, thinking that he's uh, a young... A young boy, and they're going to beat him up, and you know, possibly kill him. She runs down an alley, hides, and then two weird samurai uh, with white hair kill the two rogues, 
and then one of them is about to attack her, but then they all get taken out by they both get taken out by the Shinsengumi. She gets taken with the Shinsengumi, and she somehow uh, somehow ends up staying with them. I'm not going to go into details because it starts getting a bit weird at that point. There are devils in here. <laughs> there are secret medicines and you know portions of strength and stuff like that. It all goes very very Russian. Wibbly after junk. A bit. Yeah, wibbly junk. Um, but like I said, it's a bishy fest. You can tell this anime wasn't designed for guys. There are lots of kind of stylized posing that shows off the men in, you know, in their beautiful forms. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> Says Dave the Bishy. Um, and she is, you know, she is quite attracted to one of them in particular, Toshiro. She's attracted to Toshiro. The thing is, after watching Gintama so much... Oh, just the Gintama stuff. Just no, after watching Gintama so much, because they actually use the actual names. Well, it's, it, the characters it, it's in Gintama called, were based off... Yeah. Like, the, the Shinsengumi ones were based exactly. off the, uh, and, the actual historical Yeah, I know, ones, but that's so. what I'm saying. The same characters are also in this. So when they're talking to, uh, you know, Kondo Isao, I'm thinking of Gorilla, you know. Well, yeah, but that's just one interpretation of it. Like, yeah, the when they're talking to Hijikata, I'm thinking of Gintama's Hijikata. And it's it's this weird thing. If you are a Gintama fan, you're probably going to have that weird dichotomy going on in your brain because they kind of act the same as well. Okay. You know, um, the characters in the Shinsengumi are very similar to the characters in Gintama because they're based off the same models, as you said. You know, the same historical models. Well, it's the same way you see nob- uh, a lot of things with Na- Nobunaga in. Oh, Nobunaga, uh, yeah. And uh, Mazamune and stuff like that. Well, no. Don't go there. Don't go with the Oda Nobunaga. I could mention something and it's not good. Um, anyway, um, because they did turn him into a girl. Come on now. Right, anyway. On topic. Yes. Uh, it is very much a bishy fest. The story is... <coughs> It, it plods along at decent pace, but it's it's too much of uh, it's too much of the kind of vampire night mold. It's kind of all of these beautiful men, and they all have dark secrets, and you know, uh, several uh, several of them are after the girl all at one time for because she's something special, mm-hmm. apparently. And yeah, it's it's out from uh, MVM um, in the next couple of days. And if you like that sort of thing, then you'll probably enjoy it. But it's not really my thing. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, I I uh, had a copy of Dragon Ball Z Battle of Z yes. to review this week. It's very different from the other Dragon Ball games. Um, basically, it's based very much around... Whereas the other ones are more closed-in fighters, this is very open and the arenas are very big... You spend a lot of time nav- navigating around. Uh, it's like it's more like a third person, like not you know not shooter, but a third person action game. Um, you the the new mechanic they've added, the big one, is team based. So okay, you play with up to four characters at once. So in the uh, in some of the later fights, you'll need to coordinate how these people work. Characters come in different types. There's offensive ones, there's defensive ones, there's support, uh, there's more ranged attack ones. 
if you know the cast, you'll probably know where people sort of fall into that. Uh, characters like, um, I mean, I, I'm assuming pretty much, I, I don't have to explain what Dragon Ball Z is. Nah, I think that's pretty much nah. taken as a given that everyone knows Goku. Yep. Uh, so pretty much everyone will be able to pick up the story mode. The story mode follows the, um, the, the story of Dragon Ball Z very rigidly. It's quite, there's not much new added in there. There's a lot of like, for example, there's, uh, they add in little fights. Yeah. But other than that, there's not much more. Uh, you are given a few what if fights as well later on. A little bit like the, uh, the last installment had the what if Super Saiyan 3 battles. Um, each form of a character is represented as a different character. Mm. So this means you could have a full team of Goku. Okay. If you had Goku, base form, Super Saiyan, Super Saiyan 2, Super Saiyan 3. Super Saiyan 4 is no longer a thing. Good. Because we've Good. written out GT out of the, uh, out of the canon. But uh, it is the first appearance in a game of... The character Bills, the God of Death from uh, Battle of the Gods, and also the Super Saiyan God form. So fans might be interested in trying those Isn't out. Isn't that just Super Saiyan 4, though? Super Saiyan God looks a bit different. Okay. But, yeah, that's the... Or that's is it the, a big white beard type thing? No. Oh, okay. No. But, uh, right, it's... Once you actually start playing... And once you get to grips with the uh, the navigation sort of mechanics, you'll find that it's pretty limited in terms of combat. It's very difficult to string things together. You'll either be like just using up close moves, kai base moves, and like a little couple of support moves that you've got. Mm. So adding the team based thing does like give you a bit more variety, but it still feels quite limited. Um, the only way you can play locally with another player is cooperatively. Mm. There is no two-player local versus. Uh, you can play online. The uh, The net code for it is apparently pretty good. Yeah. I haven't had the chance to try that part of it out myself. I invited people around because I thought I'd have a nice uh, Dragon Ball Z uh, like battling time, which is yeah. what these games are meant to be played for, in my opinion. You, you pick your favourite characters. You seriously. Go nuts with them, really. Yeah. Or you pick your least favourite characters and battle them against each other. Like, or just destroy them. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone's too good, make them be Yamcha. <laughs> but, yeah, I... I've been, um, Afterwards, we played the uh, Budokai HD collection, and it's a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. this The, the new one, uh, Battle of the... I can see what they were going for, but... Um, the team-based thing, I can see that a few bit, a few fights within the series, I can see why they thought it'd be a good idea. Yeah. But it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. Um, and there's only a few t- times they actually teamed up in that sort of way to take down, uh, to take down a bigger enemy or things like that. So mm. most of the the fighting that you remember from the series was the big one-on-one clashes, yeah. uh, Goku versus Freezer as Namek explodes. Yeah. That's what you remember and what you'd want to, like, reenact, I guess. Yeah. There is a lot of com- customization. You can customize your characters and uh, you can use a lot of items. But basically, I'd probably say around a 6 out of 10 for this. It's not not the best. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed after all the hype for it. 
and uh, kind of prefer the older Dragon Ball Z games as a as a more fun experience with friends. Because no two player versus locally. That's that's kind of beat 'em ups, yeah. are you and a friend pulling each other? But it doesn't. It's not a beat 'em up, as I say. It's well, more like as yeah. I say, third person action. They do a lot of that in these anime crossovers. Yeah, yeah. I'm Susan Arndt, and you're listening to The Geek Show on 104.5 CVFM, because you have excellent taste. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Rob Simpson, and you're listening to The Geek Show. Today, we're joined by Don Coscarelli, the director of Phantasm, Bubble Hotep, and 2012 John Dies at the End. Uh, how are you doing today, Don? Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Excellent, excellent. Well, personally, I'm a... A big fan of John Dies at the end, but explaining it to me, friend, that's where the problem's proper. Uh, what is <laughs> John's Dies at the end, for people who haven't heard of it? Well, it's a simple story of two young lads who come across a street drug called soy sauce, which uh, has very strange effects, appears to allow interdimensional travel, uh, or ends up opening up portals to uh, other worlds where nothing less than uh, the source of all evil in the universe resides. And uh, the fate of humanity falls to our two heroes. And the question is, can they save humanity? And the answer is probably not. Would <laughs> <laughs> uh, it been such a, a strange film? Were there any challenges in, in making a film like this? Um, well, absolutely, because, you know, we were we were going where no man has tread before in terms of some of these uh, effects and strange things, because uh, the, the story is very ambitious, and there are some very strange, well, I mean, I, I don't know, what could I, I mean, we can talk about the, uh, uh, the monster made out of freezer meat, so we can talk about the... <laughs> cell phone made from a uh, bratwurst and a bun, um, or we could talk about uh, this this uh, terrible evil. There's so many different aspects of the movie that were very ambitious, and, you know, unfortunately, we had some budget constraints. Yeah. But the, the cool thing about that, and having made some movies like this before, that uh, a lot of times these uh, budget constraints force one to... Uh, try to uh, react with more creativity. So uh, um, I think we were able to, uh, you know, reasonably uh, depict uh, many of these uh, different uh, entities and monsters. Uh, the bit that uh, stood out for me really was just breaking into animation towards the back end of it. Uh, was that a, what was the process behind that? Well, here's the thing. There's this wonderful sequence that's described in the book that uh, actually it's a wonderful and brutal sequence of, you know, thousands of people being killed by malevolent forces. And, uh, you know, when you look at that, you think, well, let's see, so how much would it cost to make that scene? And the answer comes back, oh, that would that scene, that one scene would cost you millions of dollars to film. Oh, wow. Wow. So, uh, you know, I, I did not want to lose the scene, so, uh, you know, came up with that idea that uh, uh, we'd have that character <laughs> tells our two slacker heroes that uh, we've translated this to you in a form that you can understand. In your world, they call them cartoons. And then uh, he 
we see a, a cartoon depiction of this horrendous uh, uh, mayhem sequence, uh, and it's done by this uh, this good friend of mine. His name's David Hartman, and he's uh, his day job is he's uh, the supervising director on the uh, the new Transformers Prime cartoon show, which is really a great three D. Uh, and he and he came on and just did that for us for uh, uh, you know to help us out. Excellent, excellent. Uh, John dies at the end is kind of similar to Bubba Watt and just so strange, like nobody else out there in the world of horror doing anything even remotely close to you. Uh, what is about these stories really that makes you want to turn them into movies? Well, yeah, you know, look, I've always been interested in fantasy and horror from the time I was a kid, you know, I, I started off, uh, you know, back when I was a boy, they used to play a lot of the old uh, Universal Monster movies on television, and I would watch Frankenstein and Dracula, I love that stuff, and, you know, they'd play the old Godzilla movies, I love monster movies, and, you know, there's so many different different types and styles. I like the, 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 the fantasy genre, because, uh, you know, horror and sci-fi, because it really... Um, these are movies that, you know, while they, while they, to many people, they seem very exploitive and ridiculous. To those of us that love them, we also see that they're movies that open our minds and open our eyes to things and, and cause you to ponder. I mean, uh, you know, you see a good genre movie and you're thinking about it for weeks later. Like, how did, what was the meaning of that? Why did that, what was that, you know, and, uh, these are the kind of things that I love, and that when I saw this, uh, read this book, John Dies at the End, it was right in there, and you know, in similar in some respects to some of the uh, other kind of movies that I've explored in my career. What's next for you? Uh, you plan on doing the sequel book? Uh, this book is full of spiders. You know, I would love to do a uh, uh, work in that world again because I think that that book is terrific. You know, David Wong is uh, just a demented genius. His uh, his uh, concepts and his dialogue is so wonderful um and that book's great uh it's a little premature the movie's still being released you know and and we all we all serve the movie gods and have to uh hope that uh, those financiers would uh, have interest in funding more in that world um so yeah if the opportunity presents itself i'd absolutely love to get involved with it uh and recently i uh and received some solicitation of interest from uh, some folks that wanted to possibly make a, a television series based on the John Dies, which, would, which to me that might be interesting, you know, something that could go on for a long period of time. But uh, you know, in, in any case, anything in that world is a, is a ways off. Okay, okay, I understand. Uh, we've got a, a few listener questions for you. Uh, this one's from uh, Leslie Simpson, who says, as a young director, you made a number of family movies. Uh, what was it that made you switch over to horror? Um, hey, good question. Well, I started my career, I made a movie called Jim the World's Greatest. It was a family drama. Um, my second film I made was called Kenny and Company that uh, 20th Century Fox released, and it was about three boys in the days that lead up to Halloween. Well, there were two things that really operated on me there. Number one, my first two films didn't perform very well financially, and uh, I had always heard that horror films were generally commercially and frequently commercially successful. 
And the other thing that happened is I had a scene in that second movie where a kid was in a uh, haunted house and at night, and in that sequence, a man in a monster mask jumped out. And the first time I saw the film with an audience, when the guy with the monster mask jumped out, the audience jumped up, and there's a big scream. And, you know, for a filmmaker, getting that sort of visceral response from an audience was really, really seductive and attractive. And uh, so I hatched this idea, well, I think I'll make a commercial film, a horror film, and I'm going to put a, I'm going to try to put a jump or a scare in it every five minutes. And that's how Phantasm was born. Excellent, excellent. Uh, here's one from uh, Leon, Leon Barry, sorry, who says, uh, what movie inspired you to make film? Um, I'm going to say uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. That was uh, quite an experience. I was a young guy when I saw that movie. And uh, it was the first time I understood how artistic films could be and at the same time uh, spectacular and amazing and uh, I that's the movie that really did it for me and I uh, started experimenting afterwards with a little Super 8 camera and making my own backyard epics um, and I, I still look to that movie as one of the great art, artworks of recent memory Okay. Is there any uh, recent filmmakers that are sort of appealing here in that same way? Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, um, I uh, the films that I like, especially in the genre of recent times, and there are a lot of wonderful young directors working, and I like a lot of their work. Um, Adam Wingard, uh, has made a couple of really wonderful genre movies. I really like Your Next. I really like his previous one, A Horrible Way to Die. Uh, I uh, am uh, very uh, interested in uh, trying to see the, the interesting movies that, that younger filmmakers are making. Because, you know, the thing about the, the horror genre is that we go through periods where there are, seem to be nothing of interest, and yet somebody always comes back with something different and unique and a new take on it. In fact, while we're sitting here talking right now, uh, there's probably some young first-time filmmaker working on a movie that a year or two from now is going to blow our minds, so... Uh, it's amazing how the horror genre just keeps bouncing back. I agree. Uh, the zombie genre in particular, I saw Pontypool recently, and it just it surprised me, to say the least. Uh, another question. This one's from uh, Jessica Cook, and she says, uh, what would be your dream project if budget was no limit? Was no limit to the budget, I mean. Uh, what, no limit? Um, Your dream project, what would you love to make if money was no object? Oh, yeah, well, you know, look, I would, I would, there are so many different kinds of movies that uh, I would love to try to make. Unfortunately, I'm, you know, sort of stuck in this, uh, the horror genre, but, you know, I'd love to do a World War II epic. 
I would love to do a uh, uh, a movie like Christopher Nolan is making. That Interstellar looks fantastic. I would love to do a movie in space uh, with travel to stars, uh, those kind of things. Um, uh, lots of lots of interest where you could spend a lot of money, but uh, at the same time, um, you know, I'm always looking for something uh, you know different and unique. And if there's something simple that can be made on a budget, like a John Dies at the End or a Bubba Hotep, um, I'm all over it. Okay, uh, final final question for you, Don. We have this section of the show called Pick of the Geek where we highlight stuff that doesn't really get the love it deserves. Is there any films that you'd like to sort of give a shout-out to at any period of history, really? Oh, any period of history. Oh, movies that I love? Um, yeah. Sure. Um, uh, one of my favorite movies, non-horror at all, Best Years of Our Lives. I love that movie. I can't watch that movie without tearing up. Um, but uh, let's talk about my guilty pleasures. I love Starship Troopers. That's a great movie. Uh, in fact, I was, so gr- I was so gratified because uh, I bought one of the... Uh, um, a Marita pulse rifles off of eBay that was used in the movie. I bought that about five or ten years ago, and I was so lucky to get uh, Clancy Brown when he was working on John Dies at the End to sign it because he was so great in that film as uh, Sergeant Zim. Um, and uh, oh, I love everything that Edgar Wright does. He's amazing. And I can't wait for his next movie. Uh, well, well, thank you so much for spending this time with us, Don. We really do appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks so, so much for supporting the uh, independent genre movies, because let me tell you, there's not much publicity budget or advertising budget for these uh, films, and so the word of mouth that comes from uh, sites like yours is just so important. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Bye now. Take care now. Bye-bye. Uh, welcome back to the Geek Show on 104.5 FM. Uh, and that was our interview with Don Coscarelli. So thank you, Don, for yes. giving us your time. And thank you, Eureka, for yes, giving us the opportunity. Thank you, Steve, Eureka, for arranging that for us. Uh, we do have to apologise for the line quality. Unfortunately, we did call Don while he was in LA um, on his mobile. Um, it wasn't the best line because of various weather conditions and stuff across the world. So Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. It, it, it's a good interview. It, it, we are happy to bring it to yes, you. Yes, the content is solid. Um, we apologise for the sound quality, but it is there, and it is a good interview. Yes. And he's a lovely fella. He is. He's so nice. He is. He's very He nice. knew who we were. So <laughs> he's not a good books. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um... Moving on, uh, we do have a very small animation section for you, um, but this is more in the nature of because animation, by its nature, is very you know it's like games. It's you know we just it's very bendy. We we'll just go for pick of the geek in this one. Yeah, I pick think of that's the geek. really all we have time Your for. Top three world uh, mind world uh, mind or world bending animated series or movies. I told you I was already bagging paprika. Yes, I know. So there I'm we are. I'm not saying paprika. But with the uh, the dreams leading into each other and uh, the the reality blend slowly blending into dreams, it's pretty cool. Yes. How many times have you seen it? Uh, about twice. Do you get it yet? No. I don't think there's <laughs> anything to not get. What? No, no, it's just kind of, it's just 
you know what you watched, but you don't know what, you, what it is. It's... Well, yeah, but it sort of makes Sounds like sense. me in an episode of EastEnders. It's, <laughs> it's cool, and I love it, but it's just a bit... Weird. <laughs> oh, it's weird. Very hard to Dreams are weird. Like yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that, like, confuses it plot-wise, in that... Yeah, the, there was... Ah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, so, 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 since so, we're going with Paprika, I'll go with Mind Game, which is, uh, it is a proverbial, it is the proverbial mind game, messes around with your know, perceptions of reality, stuff like that. Very good, worth watching. Not as good as Paprika in certain ways, but better than Paprika in others. Okay. Um, yes. Even though we didn't bring up The Matrix when it came to yes. world bending. Um, I would say that some of the shorts in the Animatrix yes. are very good at that. Uh, the one where the kids find the glitch yes. and just play with it. The only one I can remember is where the 100-meter runner runs so fast he breaks the Matrix. Yeah. yeah, That's a good one as well. Didn't uh, the director of Cowboy Bebop, uh, Wasanabe, do one of those? I can't remember. I can't remember which one he did. I know he did but one. The, but the glitch one is very good, I'd say. Just, um, they find an old, like... Um, you know, like abandoned house yeah. that uh, has been closed off, and they just yeah. they go inside. You know, like as kids do and play about, oh, but course. they discover that the rules of physics don't really work here properly. There is the bit of for dark world, which is basically that. Yes, where they find the kids and they just in this big building, and it just doesn't work. Like There's another to. movie that uh, I know we're on animation, but another movie that plays around with reality, Dark City. Yes, there is. Uh, I've completely derailed my train of thought Sorry, there. Um, any for you, Rob? Like I just said, you're completely derailed. All right, uh, I had an idea. I'm going to go with one that you guys on. probably haven't heard of, um, uh, Kuchu Baranko. Uh, it's set in a psychologist's office, right? Right. And the person doing uh, offering the treatment is the uh, quite youthful-looking son of the director of the hospital who has a tendency to uh, wear a big kind of teddy bear doctor's outfit. Okay. Thing, right, and uh, inject people with his weird concoctions. It's very surreal, very trippy, but also has uh, it, it also goes a lot into uh, into the psychological side of things as well. So it's one of those that isn't just surreal for surrealness' sake. It's got a meaning to it. It mm -hmm. does make you think. Okay, cool. Not sure if this qualifies, but Pompoko. Because they do play around with hallucinations, which is yeah. about as good as you're going to get to world bending. Yeah, and it's it's such an underrated film. You people think I'll tell you what you people like, think Ghibli is uh, Miyazaki, but Takahata is every you'd like Uchoten Kazoku from last year. Yeah, that's just noise. Um, I can't remember what it means. It's something family in uh, English, um, but it's all about Tanuki living in uh, living in the real world. You'd enjoy it. Yeah, okay. I'd uh, probably for my third one I'm probably going to go with uh, Dead Leaves. The uh, art director yeah. from uh, Gurren Lagann and uh, the, the new Kill the Kill. It's very evident he was involved, but it's by the end of it it's far more surreal than either of them. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, Watanabe, what was uh, what's Space Dandy like? Because that's sure Oh, it's now, pretty good actually. I've seen the first couple of episodes. It's I, getting I, better. I saw the trailer and I was like, wow. <laughs> that's something all right. It's, it's getting better than it was. Um, for me, 
The last one, I, I was going to go with Mawaru Penguin Drum, which some people like, some people don't. It's one of those Marmite ones. You either love, like it or you don't. Yeah. I'll uh, ban it if you're Canada. Sorry? I'll ban it if you're Canada. Yeah, I'll ban it if you're Canada. Um, but instead of that, I'm going to go with the Tatami Galaxy, which, again, it's one of those it's one of those strange ones that a lot of people haven't heard of. Is that the one that was shown at Animex last year? Yojohan Shinwa Taike. Ah, no, it was, um, it was words. <laughs> The Tatami Galaxy, I can't remember if it was shown at Animex last year, but if it was, then big up to Gabby and the rest, because it is a brilliant series. Oh, it's not a series, it's a movie. Um, The one that they're showing. The Tatami Galaxy is well worth watching if you like trippy, surreal, but also uh, intelligently done Mm -hmm. uh, stories. Obviously, you you could throw a shout out to things like uh, Adventure Time and the sort of surreal uh, Western ones where the rules... Of physics only apply when they need to or have to. Yes. Yeah, I hate mentioning uh, Rick and Marty because I've mentioned it every single week since yeah. it's been on. That's going but, in that cupboard as well. But yeah, <laughs> Rick and Marty. It's it's awesome. We need a cupboard of things that we reference far too much. <laughs> it's a pantheon of geek show things. We just mention this stuff. Oh, you just yes. turn it into a drinking game. If you want something a little bit more left field, then it's well worth checking out Genius Party. Right? And Genius Party. It's just not available. It's such a lost you- in history thing that it was a brilliant collection of different directors work and different animation studios work and they just had fun to play around with it and some of them really went to town cool you know um but yeah that's it we've been talking bendy stentialism <laughs> <laughs> two hours in and i still don't understand what's going on you're not supposed to <laughs> dude it's very mc escher this wall i will say that yes i know it all ties in it's full circle and we had john dies at the end we have been the geek show i've been rob i've been rob as well i've to book the trend i was dave <laughs> he wasn't rob <laughs> yes he wasn't i was he was he wasn't um right uh we'll see you all next week uh take care and have fun
For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.